morning again, everybody. It's a real joy, a real honor um, to be able to, to stand and just to share something that God has laid on my heart over the last five weeks. John asked me five weeks ago to share um, on the book of Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, when opposition comes against Nehemiah. And I don't know if you realize what was happening. He says he's prophetic, but it seemed to have been prophetic because all hell broke loose in the last five weeks. And it's been everything that I'm sharing today is really just things that have been working in my heart. So none of this is textbook stuff. This is what's happened in the last five weeks. And so I can share with the, with the integrity and the honesty of knowing that this works. So I want to encourage you today. Listen, hear what the Word of God says to you. And let's be encouraged to, to move on and not be, not be taken down by the enemy. Because that's all the enemy wants to do is to take us down. Over the last five weeks, we've had this incredible smorgasbord of teaching from, from Brad and Howard and Tom and John and Mark, uh, just taking us through some of the things that, uh, that were on their hearts and through the first five chapters of Nehemiah. Um, Howard painted the scene so well, um, how, how Nehemiah was emotionally engaged and his heart was moved and he prayed and he sought God and he, he worshipped and he confessed sin and he was full of hope and he was servant-hearted. And then he prayed, give your servant success today. Tom took us into how Nehemiah cared so deeply for what was happening in his society. When he saw the need, he was a cupbearer to the king. He was trustworthy. He operated from a servant position, knew the culture. And then he brought kingdom of God to earth. And how we are mandated and empowered by God to bring kingdom to earth. And how through caring and loving one another and those around us, that are at risk, we to act and to do something. We're all busy building the wall in a different way. We all have a different kind of part to play in building the wall of building the kingdom and of restoring and, and bringing, bringing God's purposes back to our, to our nation. And also, he said, we have to have a servant heart. This is quite cool. Howard shared again on how Nehemiah speaks of what God had put in my heart to do. And how it said, God has put something in each one of our hearts. There's something that is placed in your heart that you carry that you need to be moving forward in. Are you living with the sense of the gracious hand of God on you, said Howard? Do you see the significance of where God has placed you? What will you do about what he said? Walk in obedience. Will you be wise in how you share the vision? Are you ready to brace for opposition and conflict, because that's what Nehemiah faced. And will you commit to believing that God will give you success? John shared something that really just like, for somebody with a sweet tooth, I loved what John was sharing. This is the best part of the smorgasbord, is when you get to the sweets. And John made this clear. Every one of us is called to be salt and light. There are no choices. There are no excuses for that. The church needs to be more involved in the rebuilding of our nation, in the rebuilding of our community, in the rebuilding of our city, in the rebuilding of, yeah, even our homes. We need to get to the place where we believe we need to be making a difference. It's not somebody else's responsibility. We carry that responsibility. John shared about the influence of one how one person can make a difference, how Nehemiah motivated an entire community to rebuild the walls, and they did that within 52 days. When John was sharing that, I was reminded of, 
of a guy. Um, so I had the privilege um, earlier this year to go to Bangladesh uh, to go and see what was happening amongst the Rohingya people that have fled under ethnic persecution and ethnic cleansing out of Myanmar. So 650,000 refugees fled out of Myanmar in two months into uh, Bangladesh, the southern part of Bangladesh, Cox Bazaar. Uh, and I went there to go and see what was happening and to, to see how we could get involved and what, what, we, uh, what we could do to make a difference in that community. Um, and uh, so a couple of people have been sharing with me different stories. And somebody said to me, have a look on Facebook. There's a, there's a Facebook group called uh, Humans of New York. And there's a guy doing an amazing thing amongst the, the um, refugees in Bangladesh. So I checked it out. There's a guy, Simon uh, Jerome Yare. He's a Frenchman. He's less than 30. He's under 30 years old. So he's a young guy. And how he went there, he saw the need, and God stirred something in his heart. And he's raised $1.8 million for the Rohingya refugees. That means that 3,000 homes can be built, housing 15,000 people. One man motivated and got an entire community, a global community involved. In fact, he's actually raised over 5 million rand for Somali and uh, Rohingya refugees. Incredible, how the power of one. And each one of us can do something. We can all be busy. And John shared that it was the bad news that motivated Nehemiah. We've got bad news. There's bad news in our country. There's bad news in our city. We know the things that are happening. We need to be motivated as a church to be doing something. And not only as a church collectively, because that's very easy. We can sit in our pew and we can say, well, the leaders will organize something and they'll get us going and we'll just get on board and we'll give some money to them. But God is calling each one of us to be motivated to make a difference in our society. John said there were no spectators. I love that. And next week, Brad shared a little bit and he stole some of my notes, so I'm not going to share anything of what he shared. I've got to kick him in the shins for that. But, but there, were, there were a couple of things that he shared that I will share. He said, what do you anticipate as normal? Nehemiah's understanding of normal was challenged and redefined, redefined by the opposition that he faced. We're going to face many trials. And the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. That wasn't very comforting. Mark took us last week, and, and thank you so much for sharing now, uh, just how he took us through a, a modern-day way in which we can be rebuilding walls. Great word from Mark. If you haven't heard it, then go onto the, the um, Connect webpage and find it. He gave us such a good, up-to-date picture of what it means to be building the wall in our community, our city, and our country. And then we saw in the North Hall representation of, of 29 different ministries and what they're doing to make a difference. We've got a great guide, a booklet uh, of ways in which we can get involved to make a difference there. It's for everyone. Everywhere, wherever we are, we bring kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is amongst us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means we're bringing the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. We're continuing the work of Jesus. And that's not just for the leaders of the church. It's for all of us. And John said, there are no spectators. So Father wants us to be building his kingdom. In our community, locally, wherever we stay, 
in your street, in your neighborhood, in our city, in our country, on our continent. That's why we go to Malawi. I found this amazing little slide. Where is the church? The church is everywhere. Wherever we go, we bring church. Wherever we go, we are a representation of the kingdom of heaven amongst us. So whether you're in your office, or whether you're up a stepladder, or whether you're pushing a pram along the road, or whether you're walking and you can't go any further because you're too old, <laughs> and you have to sit down and read the newspaper on the bench, or whether you're driving a truck, whatever it is that we're doing, we are representative of the kingdom of heaven on earth. So he wants us to be involved. As I thought it through, I thought there's four scenarios that came to mind, and I want to share those with you. Uh, one of the things that Brad shared, and, and I love this, it, it really struck home to me. God's actions and our actions need to be intertwined. Let me say it again so you can hear it five times. God's actions and our actions need to be intertwined. First scenario, God has spoken. I heard him. I got a word from him, and I responded. I did something about it. I am doing something about it. That's awesome. The second scenario, God spoke, and I haven't heard. He spoke. He said something, and I haven't heard. We need to be listening. The third scenario, God spoke, I heard, and I'm willfully not responding. That's tragic. If he spoke and I'm willfully not responding, I need to repent. God forgive me for hearing and not doing anything about it. Then the fourth scenario, God hasn't spoken. That's not likely. But if he hasn't spoken, or if you haven't heard, ask. And he will speak to you. He will give you. He will tell you what he wants you specifically to be doing. Yeah. We're the church. Who? Each one of us. We're the church. Jesus, it sounds crazy, but he's depending on us. He could do it without us, but he chose us. There is no plan B. We're the church. We're a healing community. Jesus is depending on us. He saw. He wants us to see. Jesus cared. He wants us to care. He listened to his father. He wants us to listen and not only to listen, but to hear, to hear what it is that he's saying to us. Jesus obeyed and he wants us to obey. He got involved and he's got things for each one of us to do. And if there's nothing else that we're called to do, we've got to take the injunction of Matthew 28. And he said, go and make disciples. If there's nothing else, if there's nothing in our community that God's called us to do, He called us to make disciples. He called us to be winning people for His kingdom, to be sharing life with them and bringing them to a place and an understanding of what it means to walk with Him. If there's nothing else, we can take it as an imperative, go. Like you would, like you would give an order to your child, you know, when you really want them to do something. Go, move. That's an imperative. It's a command. We can take it as a command. But I read that it's actually more accurate to take it as a verbal noun, a participle that means as you go, 
wherever you go, as you go out, make disciples. When you're on the street, when you're in the office, when you're walking, when you're sitting on the bench, when you're reading the newspaper, be making disciples. When you're communicating with somebody in a coffee shop, when you talk to somebody at the teller, till. It's the teller who works at the till. So Jesus was really expanding the scope of the going. Previously, it was only to the Jews. Now he's saying, go. The going can look different. It's about obedience, and it's about functioning under the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we go, it can be local, it can be translocal, it can be in the workplace among the prostitutes on Main Road, it can be knitting baby clothes, job creation, non-residential ministry, giving academic support in the Life Matters Foundation, uh, training baristas or bringing victims and perpetrators together in restorative justice, or short-term teams, what we do in Malawi with a long-term vision, or as a career missionary, go, 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 go. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, let's be making disciples. So we're not all called to do the same thing. I'm glad. Because there's some things I don't really want to do. (laughs) And I'll leave it to you. So in the building that Nehemiah did, some were quarrying the stone. They were cutting it. New stone that they were preparing Others were shaping the stone. Others were carrying the stone. Some would have been directing where the stones should be placed. Some were placing the stones. And some were standing guard. But they were all busy. So the question is, what has God spoken to you? It's not obedience to hear. It's only obedience when we obey. It's not obedience to hear. It's only obedience when we obey. An action will, will mean opposition. I promise you. If you get into action, you will have opposition. It's a guarantee. I want to read from Nehemiah chapter 6. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakepirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. Uh Uh-huh. So now come, let's take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, 
strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let's meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let's close the doors of the temple. They're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should a man such as I run away? And what man such as I should go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in, the 50, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, and the nations around us were afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan, and had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of all his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. A chapter that's filled with opposition. Nehemiah pressed on. We're going to get to that just now. But before we do, I have a wicked sense of humor. One of my favorite cartoons was The Far Side by Gary Larson. And this photo was taken just after I was born. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Some of you don't think I'm kidding. Okay. Early experiments in transportation, a bit of a, just to understand my humor. It's another one that really got to me. Drive, George, drive. This one's got, got a coat hanger. But I found this one that struck me about just how real and how pertinent it is for us and for what was happening with Nehemiah. Bummer of a birthmark, hell. So we all have a target on us. The moment we come into the kingdom of God, we have a target on us. Because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be aware. Be alert. The world needs alerts. Okay, you missed that one. Be alert. The world needs alerts. Okay, you got that one. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The battle is real. It's not an imaginary game. If we're in the kingdom of heaven, we know that we have an enemy and he's out to get us. I want to share a couple of enemies that I've been aware of in the last short while and like I said in the last five weeks especially this has all been 
really very real to me. And I'll use some of the terms loosely as enemy because I don't want to label people but, or label yeah, situations. But let's have a look. The first one is obvious. Satan is our enemy. He prowls around. He's out to steal, kill, and to destroy. Jesus came to give us life. He came to destroy. I was chatting with one of the young adults in the church who started a ministry recently. Uh, and he shared some of his personal encounters with the realm of darkness. This week he was telling me just some real face-to-face encounters with the demonic. It's real. From my own experience, we've had somebody walking towards us along the road, and the whole family walking together, and the person's walking towards us and disappears. It's real. And if you haven't experienced that, I'm glad you haven't experienced that. But, but let's, not, let's not miss the point that the enemy is real and he's out to get us. During this week, uh, actually last week, uh, two o'clock in the morning, I woke. I was aware of an evil presence in the room. You know when you, your hackles rise and your skin kind of stands out, or your, your hair stands out in your skin? Well, ladies, you don't have hair on your skin. Um, but, but yeah, the, the hair stood out of my skin, and I was, I was lying in bed terrified. And I was aware that I couldn't even turn over. I tried to turn. But there was this incredible weight pressing down on me that I couldn't move. And I lay there and thought, now what do I do? And I began to pray in tongues. And it lifted immediately. It was gone. And I felt an incredible sense of peace in the room. That foreboding was gone. It's real. And Satan will use every possible means to bring us down. He has no good intentions. He has no good intentions. And he will direct his attacks straight from his kingdom, and he will also use some other means. And these are some of the means that he will use. He will use those who are not yet followers, those who are still in the kingdom of darkness. He will use them to get to us. Unbelievers, and unfortunately many believers as well, are caught up in the world of narcissism, secularism, capitalism, And they don't necessarily oppose you with malice, but they oppose you because they come from a different perspective. They're operating out of a different kingdom. Their value system is sometimes so different, they don't have handles for what you're doing. When you're doing that, they'll say, well, why are you doing that? That's crazy. You could be earning money somewhere else because they have no idea. And so they start to bring you down. I don't know if you struggle with self, but I struggle with self. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. That same young adult that I spoke about told me this week about the whispers that he hears. Just a simple whisper in his ear. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? You have no right to be in front of these people. You have no right to be ministering the gospel. It's real. Sometimes we plagued with self-doubt. We're gripped by the fear of man. Sometimes we choose to willfully sin. We don't fully grasp our identity in Christ and the claim that he has on our lives. We struggle with poor self-esteem. We have unresolved issues that we're not dealing with. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. And the last one that I wanted to share with you, uh, with the, the enemies, is believers 
Now that sounds terrible. How can you even say that believers can be our enemies? Let me share some thoughts. Scripture tells us we're in the process of working out our salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians. So working out means to continually work to bring something to completion or fruition. I haven't arrived yet. I think so sometimes, but I haven't. So we're all working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're getting to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we need to be actively pursuing obedience in the process of sanctification. Paul describes himself, he says, I'm straining and pressing on towards the goal of Christ-likeness. So we haven't arrived. We're not there yet. So there's some believers, and maybe even some amongst us, who are jealous of who you are, don't understand or choose not to understand your motives when you're doing something for the kingdom. Maybe they will challenge your authority. Maybe they're suspicious of your boldness, your confidence in Him, in Christ. Like, what's going on? Others have a different theology or a different value system. Maybe somebody wanted the job or the role that you have. You know those spiritual ladder climbers who have the crab mentality? The moment you start climbing out of the the can, they pull you down. Sometimes believers do that. Sometimes they're manipulating, controlling, sowing dissension. So what are the attacks of the enemy? What, what is it that these, these various, these four factors bring against us? And I looked through Nehemiah, and I looked through my last five weeks, and I found a bunch of them. The first one is fear and intimidation. The enemy will try to bring fear and intimidation against you. When Sanballat, and interestingly, Sanballat means uh, bramble bush. And another meaning for that is enemy in secret. You know the Hakenstiek boom? Yeah, enemy in secret. So when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together but they intended to do me harm. Verse 19, Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. They had ganged up and sent their representatives. And sometimes that's what we face. One of the enemies we face is fear and intimidation. It will break down your self-confidence and it will immobilize you. This is one that I struggle with, distractions. How somehow the urgent things become more important than the important things. And there's so many urgent things that are happening that all the important things get put to the bottom of the list. They try to do that with Nehemiah. Let's meet together. And they called for Nehemiah to meet there five times. And what was his his response? How can I leave what I'm doing? Distractions will take away from your mandate. Don't get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. The third one is suspicion. Come, let's meet together. Suspicion will cause you to question what you've heard from God. 
insult and disrespect, Nehemiah faced this. In verse 5, he was sent an open letter. And in those times, an open letter was the ultimate insult. It meant that it could be read publicly. It meant that anybody, even the messenger who was taking that letter, could see what was in that letter. So it was normal, it was procedure to seal a letter with wax so that it couldn't be opened, it couldn't be read. And he was sent, Nehemiah was sent an open letter, the ultimate insult. It was disrespectful. That brings discouragement. Another thing that Nehemiah faced was lies and half-truths. It is reported amongst the nations. Geshem also says it, so there's talk, there's gossip, that you intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. So the insult and disrespect and the lies and half-truths I saw play out with a friend of mine in this last week where a letter was sent to a global community. An email was sent to a global community, abasing him, pulling him down, telling half-truths about him from believers. We have to be careful. That will cause self-doubt. Have you ever had people play the God says card with you? Will you ask for advice? Oh, God tells me that this is what you should do. Be careful. Because there's some who will use that uh, to boost their own spiritual walk. <laughs> My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat in verse 12. According to these their works, and the prophetess Noadiah, the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Be discerning what is from God and what isn't from God. I was so encouraged on Thursday to have the prophetic team Thursday night pray over me. It was so encouraging. Because prophecy is to edify, to comfort, to exhort. Be careful when somebody says, God told me this is what you should do. And what it will do is it'll actually cause you to, to doubt and to block what God has spoken to you specifically. Attacks on your reputation that will cause you to sin, or maybe attempting to cause you to sin. Verse 13, for this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And what's the result of that? You desperately try to defend your reputation and your trust in others is damaged. Nehemiah faced slander and gossip. They sent many letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came back to them. And so the, the slander and the gossip carried on. Caused you to be defensive instead of proactive cause again doubt to rise within you and discouragement and lack of recognition they spoke of his Tobias good deeds in verse 19 it, it says they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him Tobiah, Tobiah did this, Tobiah did that, Tobiah did this, Tobiah did that Nehemiah was building the wall 
He had, he had mobilized an entire city of people to rebuild the walls. And Tobiah was getting, Tobiah, 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 Tobiah. And so Nehemiah wasn't being recognized for what he was doing. And very often discouragement can come from lack of recognition. Against it. Your spirit will become broken and you'll become disheartened. And I want to close off with just some thoughts as to what can we do about these kind of attacks? Well, what do we do when we're facing this kind of onslaught from the enemy? Because the enemy is a defeated foe. We know that. But sometimes we don't live it. So I want to share five thoughts, and each of these, like I said, been very real in the last five weeks. The first one I want to share is remain sensitive and discerning to the promptings and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Remain sensitive to that. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come let us meet together. But I recognized they intended to harm me. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So he discerned. Verse 12, I read it there. And then I understood and saw that God had not sent him at all. And if we want to fight off the attack, if we, if we want to be aware of the attack and fight it off, we need, to, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and know what is coming from God and what's not coming from God. Nehemiah was, and it helped him, kept him on track. The second thing we can do about these attacks is to know the call. Know what God has said. Know what He's spoken to you. Remember I said before, he's spoken, we heard, and we obeyed, we responded. He's spoken, we didn't obey. If we know what he said to us, we can ward off the attacks of the enemy. Because we can say, God said, this is what he told me to do. So get behind me, Satan. I remember some time ago when uh, our family were in the Philippines. And I remember... Sandra and I got to the point that we were so discouraged. We were so disheartened. Um, there'd been just so many attacks. It seemed like the enemy had had a field day. And we just were beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. And I, I called the family into the room one day. Sandra and I had spoken. We'd, we chatted about what we should do. And I called the family into the room, closed the door to keep God out of the picture. And, uh, yeah, sat down. And I said to the family, we're going home. And the girls were excited. Going home? Yep. For a holiday? No. We're going home permanently. Why? Well, we're tired. We've been under spiritual attack for so long. And it just seems like the enemy's got us and we're, we're, we're ready to give up. Dad? So my four girls. Dad? Have you heard from God that we should go home? Uh, no. What are you thinking? I think Roanne was about 18 years old and Shana was eight. Uh, girls, we just can't take it anymore. Has God finished with what he called us to do? No. Then why are you going home? I 
just explained, we've had financial pressure, we've had spiritual attack, it's, the, the, it's a physical lifestyle, we're tired. Dad, are you prepared to take us and bring us under the curse because we walk out of the will of God? Well, girls, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go home, get a job, and we'll, we'll be okay. Well, we're staying. We're staying because God called us here. It was such an incredible reminder that when God calls, when God speaks, we can stand on it. Sandra and I repented. We wept before our girls. We repented before God. And we kept on. And that week, we had our first breakthroughs in the church. Nine people came to faith that Sunday as we met together. When you know the will of God, when you know His purposes, you can stand firm. Be steadfast and consistent. But they sent this message to me four times. And I answered them in the same manner. And then they sent it a fifth time. And I answered it the same way. How can I go? Be consistent. Be consistent. Stick to what you know. Stand for truth. Nehemiah said to them, no such things as you say are being done. You invent them in your own heart. When the enemy comes against us, we know what the truth is. The truth will set us free. We know the truth and it will set us free. So when the enemy comes against us, stand for the truth. Stand for what is spoken. Stand for what God has said. Stand for what you know is right. Stand for kingdom and you will win the battle. Nehemiah prayed. He prayed fervently. They wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. I have prayed and prayed and prayed this last five weeks. I have prayed and prayed and hours and hours and hours of prayer. I don't think... In fact, I know that I would not have walked through the last five weeks unless God had answered those prayers and had seen me through. May God help us. May he help us. May we hear him speak and respond. May we be obedient to his call. Each a different call, maybe. May none of us be spectators. May we go, be the church, continue the work of Jesus. May God's actions and our actions be intertwined. And when the attacks come, may we remain sensitive and discerning to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. May we know the call and be sure. May we be steadfast and consistent. May we stand for truth. And may we keep praying. And keep praying and keep praying. Come back next week for another exciting episode. God's doing something in our midst. I'm looking forward to hearing what else he has to say to us. Lord, I pray, help us. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief. Help us, Lord, in our weakness. Because your strength is made perfect in our weakness. So, Lord, we want to declare today our dependency on you, the God that will carry us through every situation. 
May we hear the things that you have on your heart for us as individuals to do, where you've called us to be the church, to be the kingdom, to bring kingdom wherever we go, to make a difference, to change the spiritual atmosphere wherever we go. And Lord, may we find the thing that you want us to do, whether it be to carry the stones, to shape the stones, or to place the stones, or to stand guard. Help us, Lord, to know what it is that you want for us to do. In your name we pray. Amen.